Good morning. There's two very difficult ways to preach after singing like that. One is, it's going to be hard for me to not come up out of my shoes. And the second one is, I don't even feel like I need to preach anymore. I mean, I feel like, I feel like the songwriters, uh, they did what they were supposed to do. I remember being a, being a kid and, you know, you would hear preaching and it says, you know, we're going to spend our time in heaven and we're going to spend all of our time uh, praising and worshiping God. You know, and I remember as a boy, I was like, all day? Jeez, oh, come on. I mean, can we get a sandwich or something? I mean, <laughs> just praising God all day? That's, like, that's what we're about to be doing? But look, if that was just a shred of what it's going to be like, I'm all right with that all day. I'm okay with that all day. That was, that was fantastic. Uh, we're going to spend all of our time in First Peter chapter 3, so you can go ahead and turn over there. Um, I'm going to be t- uh, speaking to two groups of people today. Um, I'm going to do my best to speak to both of you at the same time. But just so we're clear, these are the two groups of people that I would like to address today. The first group, which my prayer is a small group, but I don't want to take for granted that there may be someone in the room that does not know the Lord as their personal Savior. That's the first group. And the second group is for those of us that do know the Lord as our personal Savior. If you are not a follower of Christ, I'm just going to give you the quick rundown. God in his grace and mercy created mankind. He created everything we see. And he was blown away by his creation. And he gave us all of these things to enjoy. He created humans and he created Adam and Eve and he gave them a place to live. It was called the Garden of Eden. And he also gave them this ability to choose. We call it free will. In Adam and Eve's human nature, I guess we're going to call it that, they chose an option that wasn't God. And as a result, we have what we call the fall. And when the fall took place, man was separated from God, and God was incredibly heartbroken. Some time went by, and and God, in his grace and mercy, said, you know what, this needs to be fixed. And he sent his son on earth. And that son of his died in our place. That's where we get the word atonement from. And it fixed. Things were fixed. We have, an ability, we have, the, we have the option now to, to, to live a life that is pleasing to God because of what his son Jesus did. There's only one requirement of us as human beings. We have to accept the free gift of salvation. Yes, it's a free gift. I know you've never heard anything like that before because every time you've ever heard anything about gift or free or expectation, it's come from a human being, not God. So humans, we have conditions. I will love you this way if you do this for me. I will give you this as long as you give me some money for it. But that's not what God says. He says this is a free gift. All you have to do is accept it. It's a free gift of salvation. That's why he died. That's why Christ died. For those of us that are believers, look, I have a problem with you. And when I say you, I'm talking to myself as well. You and I, we walk around as if we have some golden ticket, some past that makes us awesome. We're not awesome. You and I, we forgot why he died. 
We've been sitting in our church service for a long time, reading our Bibles for a long time, and singing aloud for a long time, and we gloss over. We get to this point where we think, you know what? I know all the answers. I've got it. It's all good. I could just cruise on through this Christian life, and it'll be okay. That's a problem. Because you and I, we behave, our posture, we, we act as if we forgot why he died. You know what? Because you did forget why he died. I walk around all the time as if I forgot why he died. I forgot. The realization of what Christ did on the cross sometimes is lost in my mind. And when it gets lost, I behave a certain way. So today, we're going to talk about, remind ourselves, have questions about, and we get some answers to, to why he died. If you are a non-believer, you haven't accepted the gift of salvation, I'm telling you right now is going to be an opportunity to do that. In fact, you can do that right now. But it's going to be an opportunity to do that. Please don't leave here without any questions. You may say, you know what, I have a couple questions before I do that. You know what, that's okay. Don't leave here without asking the questions. I'm telling you, me, personally, I'll stay here all day and talk to you about it. Just meet me right here afterwards, and I will talk all day about it. The church will pay for our lunch. It's all good. We'll have a lunch. We'll sit right here, and we'll talk about it. We're all going to have an opportunity to respond to conviction because of what I'm going to say, because of what the Scripture says. When that happens, don't ignore it. Don't ignore the conviction. Respond Move when you know you're supposed to move. Act when you know you're supposed to act. That's what's going to happen. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. Our main text within chapter 3 is going to be, uh, let's see, let's go from verse 13. Yeah. Yeah, let's read from verse 13. So we'll be 1 Peter 3, 13, we'll read through about 22, and then we'll spend our time on verse 18. Um, if you are willing and able, I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we read this portion of Scripture as we get ready to dive into it. First Peter 3, 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, that, good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits 
in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from dirt, but dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. You may have a seat. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would uh, just guide and direct our conversation. Pray that you would uh, continually reveal yourself. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what already has taken place here today. We love you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So it's a really good question. Why did Jesus die? You know, we can ask another question. What took place when Jesus died? That's a whole sermon for a different day. But today I want us to focus on why did he die? We're going to take a look at verse 18, and this is what we're, where we're going to get our answer from. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So why did he die? The first reason we see out of this verse is Christ died for sins. Christ died for sins. It's a very simple answer but I want you to write it down because we forget that. Christ died for sins. If you don't know this already, sin, sins is a problem. It causes a lot of problems. It is the opposite of what God intended. So when sin entered the world, God in his grace and mercy says, I have to do something to make this right. I have to fix this. So he said, Christ is going to die died for our sins. Our sin needed to be dealt with. That's why Christ died. Our sin needed to be dealt with. I had a conversation with someone and they were asking me about my faith and they were a non-believer and they were asking me what the big deal is, what the big deal is about sin. And it's, it's a really good question. It's a hard question. And I just had to come up with a simple answer. Sin is against God, and God has a problem with that. It's the beginning part of our conversation. Sin is against God, and God has a problem with it. So God, in his grace and mercy, sent Christ to die for our sins. Look at verse 18. We see what comes right after that. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, which was him, for the unrighteous, which is us, that he might bring us close to God that he might bring us to God. One of the criticisms of Christianity is that it's a rule-following religion. All we have to do is follow the rules. There's so much religiosity inside Christianity. And yes, that is somewhat true, but we forget, and you and I as believers, we don't often do a good job of reminding the world that Christianity is about relationship. It's about relationship. It's not about following the rules. Every one of us in this room, we could be experts at religiosity. You know how I know that? It's because all of us, in some section of our lives, we're good at following the rules. Most of us, we're good at following the rules that we pick and choose, but we follow them anyway. 
Like, and it's just elementary, simple definition. That's what it means to be religious. The ability to follow something the way that it's supposed to be followed. That's what it means. But that's not what this says. It says Christ died because he wanted to bring us closer. If sin is a problem for God and to God, that means it puts some separation between us and God. And God says, hey, you know, if I want relationship, there can't be separation. The further I move away from you, the further you feel disconnected from me. Right? If I keep talking and move all the way back into this room behind this wall, you'd be like, where did he go? This is a problem. There's no more connection. The further we are from God, the, the, the less our connection is. So God says, I'm going to send my son to die and to draw you closer to me. If you're like me, and you're uncomfortable with closeness, we have to get over that. One of the things that I've learned, especially with people that are from my generation and the generations that are younger, I'm 35 years old, so 35-ish and under, a lot of us, we have lost the ability to learn how to connect with another human being. We've, We've lost that. Some of you know that part of my job is, is, is counseling related, and so I spend a lot of time reading and learning about how, how, how we interact with human beings, and a lot, another part of my job is spending time with 20-somethings, and it's, it's always baffling to me that I meet an 18-year-old, and they don't even, it's like, it's like they've never seen another human being before. So I don't really know how to interact with another person, but what is this, why is there this level of awkwardness? And it's because we've lost the ability to connect. And God in his grace and mercy, he says, you know what, if I don't fix this, then people will forever be away from me. I need them to be drawn closer to me. Jesus died. Christ died to draw us closer to him. The righteous for the unrighteous. Uh, I think it was in one of the songs we sang, Romans 6, 23 says, or, or I think, no, I think, yeah, I can't remember Boston read it or not. That the wages of sin is death. All humans stand condemned before God. Our sin separates us from him whose character is pristine holiness and perfect justice. God wants to be close to us. I don't know if we've ever thought about it this way before, but I don't know how you respond when someone does something that is against you. But in our sin nature, and I'm using that phrase on purpose, our immediate reaction is to put separation between them and us. And like I said a moment ago, I'm not always comfortable with closeness, so for me to put separation between me and another person is pretty easy to do because of my personality. And if you think about this, if you think about what we did to God and what we do to God, it's, it, it actually is really baffling that he continually wants to be close to us. Because I don't know about you, but I've sinned more than one time. You know, if it was one time, it would make sense. You know, I sinned one time, God and I had an issue, we worked that out, and now we're close again. But that's not how it works. You and I sin all the time. And so if you think about it, God God should say, you know what, I think I've had it with you guys. I think that's enough. But that's not what he does. And he went ahead and sent his son to die so that we could see what that was like. So he can say, you know what, I'm not going to put you away. I actually want you to be close. I want you to be close to me. That is such a simple thing that is lost on us. I don't think we understand that God 
could have done the opposite. I think, we, I think a really good way to, to think about this is in Philippians chapter 2, um, and I think we read this a couple weeks ago. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus came and he humbled himself. It says that he did not consider, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he did not consider the fact that he was God and God-like a thing to be grasped. It means that he could have actually behaved that way. He could have behaved in all of his godness. Jesus, the Son of God, in flesh, he could have behaved godlike. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but if, I, if that was me, I would have grasped at all of the godlikeness. You too. I would have grasped at all of it. I'd be like, wait, I have godlike power, and I'm going to humble myself to not behave that way? Absolutely not. I'm going to behave in all of the godlikeness that I possibly can. But that's why that wasn't given to me. That's why it wasn't given to you. And Jesus said, I could grasp that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to actually humble myself. And by humbling myself, it shows you that I could behave this way, but I chose not to. I want to behave this way. That's why it's really important that God sent Jesus to die. That's why he wants to draw us closer. It says, for, uh, says the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did Jesus die? Why, did he, why was he sent to die? It was to, to swap out the righteous for the unrighteous. That's where we get the word atonement from. He died in our place. The New Testament gives us very good examples of what it looks like for him to die in our place. Mark 10, 45 says, he gave his life as a ransom in the place of many. He died in our place. Romans 3, 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood. He died in our place. We should have died. We should have been wiped away. We should have just been completely obliterated. And Jesus says, no, God says, no, I'm going to send my son to take, to take that place. He died in our place. I struggled a lot with this portion of scripture and how to preach it to you because as a, as a teacher and as a, as a speaker and as a preacher and someone who studies the word of God, we have this tension. We feel like we have to find and give you more than what's in there. All the time. That's, I, I always have that tension. I'm like, wait a second, does that, that's it? Because God, that's, that's like a three-minute message. Pastor Eric says I got 38 minutes. So I don't know how I'm supposed to get 38 minutes of information out of what seems like three minutes of information. And you may be asking, why am I telling you that? Because it's this simple. Th this is it. There isn't, there isn't anything else. There isn't anything else. God created us. There was an issue. There was the fall. He said, I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to have him die for you. And all you have to do is accept the free gift of salvation. He died in our place. If you're taking notes, the next reason is he died to explain and show love. He died and to explain and show love. At the cross, we see, we witnessed the climax of God's covenants with Israel, and we witnessed the final and dramatic proof of his love and his justice. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, will also graciously give up all things. We really don't have the time for it today, but one of the things that saddens me the most about our current culture is the hijacking of the word love. It's been stolen from us. Like, it really infuriates me. I say it all the time. It really, really makes me upset. Because I walk around in my town, and I drive around, and I hear people talk about love, 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 and I haven't heard the correct definition of love, not the one that's been given in Scripture, and it's been taken away from us. It's been hijacked. And I think sometimes you and I as believers, we've just allowed it to happen. And like, yeah, it's a lot of them. It's only a little bit of us. I guess they can have it. We need to stop that. We need to stop. This is the definition of it. Christ loved us to the point where he says, no, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die for you. This is the greatest way to show love. Not the current definition of love that society has. If you want to explain love, explain it through the cross. Explain it through the cross. Look, this, might be, this, this may sound like a stretch, but I use this concept in my marriage all the time. I can't love Jessica within myself the way that I made, apart from God. I can't. I can't. I don't care how much of a lover boy that I think I am, and I am a lover boy. Ask her. <laughs> I don't care how much of a lover boy I think that I am. I can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because look, even as sweet and awesome as she is, there's some things about who she is based on some things that are based on who I am, it's just hard to love her. What am I supposed to do? Just not love her? Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? No. And I'm just talking about her, and I'm married to her. God gave us a, an amazing example of what it looks like to love somebody based on how he loved. Because I don't know about you, but I don't think there's anybody on the planet that I'm willing to die for. You're like, wait, what? You wouldn't die for your wife and your son? I don't know. I really don't. I really don't. I'm not going to lie to you. I would love to stand up on this set. I would die for them. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I may, maybe if you catch me at the right moment, I might die for them. But I don't know. I'm being honest. That's tough. You ever stop and really think about that? We, just, we say that all the time. I would die for you. I, I really don't know. But God said, you know what? That's the definition of love. That's it. He didn't give up his son. I really, I can't, I cannot in all of my humanness imagine giving up my son for one of y'all. Can't imagine doing that. Not because I don't love you, but that's my son. Right? That's the little homie. You want me to give him up for you? Like, that's what I'm supposed to do? And that's what God says. I'm, I'm going to give my son up to die on the cro- cross, to be in excruciating pain, to die a death that none of us will ever experience in that way so that he can take your place. That's the definition of love. Try it. Just trust me, trust the scripture, and try it. The next time someone asks you about love, start by explaining it through the cross. Just try it. Don't explain it through, oh, I love this sandwich, or I love my wife, or I love my team. Stop that. That's not love. Explain it through the cross. If you're a non-believer and you ever, like, look at a Christian and how they behave and how they get all weepy and weird when we sing songs and read scriptures. You know why? It's because we have a context of what, it, what happened when Christ died. That's why. Christ's death puts beyond all doubt the fact that God loves us. It assures us that no matter what life throws at us, we can trust God's love. 
That's what happened on the cross. This last one is a difficult one. Christ's death gives us a window into forgiveness. Christ's death gives us a window into forgiveness. Forgiveness, quite possibly, may be one of the most, one of the hardest things for us as humans to do. I'm learning this the older I get. It's one of the hardest things to do. One of the hardest things to do. All the other things that we say is forgiveness, that we substitute forgiveness with, they're really easy to do. Saving face, that's easy to do. Smile, that's easy to do. I just require a couple of face muscles. That's it. It's not that hard. Shake a hand, it's easy to do. Say, I forgive you, that's easy to do. But to actually forgive is incredibly hard. And what makes it hard is because hurt is hard. And hurt is harder when it's fueled and ignited by sin. We're not talking about accidental hurt here. We're not talking about like, oh, you accidentally stepped on my foot and that hurt. That's not it. That doesn't require forgiveness. We're talking about I intentionally did this to you and against you, and that hurt. I have it written down here. Let me find it. There's a verse that talks about how he willingly gave up. Hold on, I'll find it. Right here. Acts 2.23, write that down. Acts 2.23 says, Wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And also says, and we handed over, he was, Jesus was handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. It says wicked men put him to death. That hurt. I don't know about you, but that, that's not that that would hurt. I mean, if I think about being God and Jesus, like, hey, you know what, I did all this for you, and you made the decision to just take my son to the cross, that would be, that would be really hurtful. And even through that process, he says, you know what, through this process, I'm going to give people, I'm going to give the world an example of what it looks like to forgive. Because if you think about it in context, that would be really hard to forgive. It almost sounds and feels unforgivable. Like if you just took my son and nailed him to a cross just willy-nilly, that sounds like that would be unforgivable. I don't know about you, but it sounds like that would be unforgivable to me. And Christ said, you know what? I'm going to use this to give a window into forgiveness. God doesn't forgive us by turning a blind eye to our sin or by overlooking it. Forgiveness is costly. It is costly to the one against whom the wrong has been done. And at the cross, we see not only God's love, but also the seriousness with which he takes our sin. Forgiveness is seen through the cross. That's why he died. That's why he died. This is a difficult statement for me to say because I don't even want to admit to it. I don't want to go through this process, but it's my responsibility to say it. If you really want to understand where, where your level of understanding is about what happened at the cross, look at how you forgive. 
if you really want to know what your current level of understanding is about what took place at and on the cross, look at how you currently forgive. If you really want to know how you feel and how you think and how you process what took place at the cross, look at how you currently forgive. If your forgiveness looks like this, then we have a really good, we have a really good handle on what took place at the cross. If your forgiveness is something other than this, then we have forgot, we've missed why, why he died. So, like I said, there's two groups. For the non-believer, this is somewhat of an introductory conversation. If you have questions about anything I said, don't hesitate to ask. But you might be sitting and you may think, you know what? I think I understand some of that. I think, I think I understand. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I have the access to be saved through the free gift of salvation. I understand, based on what the preacher is saying, about God's response to our sin. I understand that my life isn't the way that it should be, and it only isn't that way because you're separated from God. Not because you don't live where you think you should live or make what you think you should make or drive what you think you should drive. That's not why. It's because you're separated from God. It's because you don't have the free gifts of salvation. I want to encourage you to accept that gift. You can accept that gift. Now look, you could do that right. You could do that right where you are. But there's a power, there's something powerful about moving and coming to the altar. It doesn't, it doesn't just exist arbitrarily. There's something powerful about it. And no, coming to the altar doesn't save you. And I remember I heard an old preacher, he's like, look, when you make the decision that I'm going to accept the free gift of salvation, that's when you get saved. That's it. It just happened. That's it. Yes, we, yes, we, we encourage the formality of a prayer and coming forward. But if you're like, you know what? That's what I want. Lord, I accept you. I accept the free gift of salvation. That's it. Just, you just ask the Lord to be, to give, to take up residence, residence in your heart. But I want to encourage you to come forward. Because it lets us know who you are. It lets us know how we can pray for you. It lets us, it lets us, it allows us to be excited about, about the, this process. So come to the altar. We're going to have uh, Pastor Eric come up and the musicians come up. And I think there's, there's, there's a level of importance to this element. For those of us that are already believers, this altar doesn't exist arbitrarily. This isn't just like some cool design thing that we couldn't have gotten away with. It serves a purpose. If you can say, you know what, I'm convicted about how I have thought about the cross. I've just gotten lazy. I've gotten apathetic. I have a forgiveness problem. I don't love well. I'm very selfish. I don't know the last time I even told someone about Jesus. I live as if everybody else knows about him. If you're convicted about any of those things and you say, you know what, I want to just, I want to recommit. Like today, I think we should just recommit to live with the cross in mind. We should live with it at the forefront of our minds and not around our necks. We should live with the cross at the forefront of our minds and not around our necks. If you're convicted about any of that, come to the altar. And just say, you know what, I'm going to recommit my life to live with that, with, with that, with that truth. That you know what, I'm not going to live as if I don't know what took place at the cross. I'm not going to live as if I forgot what that means. 
I'm going to forgive the way that God has called me to forgive. I'm going to love the way that God has called me to love. I'm going to take back the definition of love. Y'all just going to be open and come forward, pray, pray with someone else. Uh, lastly, uh, I think this is important just because I know, I know the state of, of the way most Christian marriages are. Uh, I heavily encourage you, if you and your spouse are here this morning, you're like, look, we have forgotten that through the institution of marriage, we've been given one of the most awesome tools and gifts to show the world what it's like to have a relationship with God. And you're like, you know, maybe we just haven't been doing that. We've been lazy. We, we, haven't, we haven't done that. You may say, as a husband, I haven't done that. I've not loved my wife well enough to show the world that this is what love from a Christ-like perspective looks like. You may say the same thing as a wife. Every single time I have an opportunity to encourage couples, every single wedding I do, this is what I say. I say this to every single couple. You, through the institution of marriage, have been given an amazing gift to show the world this is what it's like to have a relationship with God. You've been given that gift. And we as the church, we've been given that as well. So please, as I play, come to the altar, recommit, pray. Thanks for this opportunity to share simple truths out of one portion of scripture that should remind us of why he died and what took place on the cross that day.